Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together and that you're in our presence. We ask your spirit to lead and guide us as we look at your word and see what you would have us to learn from this. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting at verse 16. Three times a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread and in the feast of the weeks and in the feast of the tabernacles and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. Judges and officers shall you make you in all your gates which the Lord your God gives you throughout your tribes and they shall judge the people with just judgment. They shall not rest judgment. You shall not respect people. Neither take a gift, for a gift does blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shall you follow, that which, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not plant you a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord your God, which you shall which you shall make you, neither shall you set you up any images which the Lord God hates. So we're going to look at these real quick. We've been talking about in the last three weeks the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is in verse 16. It says, God says, Three times a year shall all the males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose. And then he lists the three, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the period between Passover and the first Sunday. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then he says the Feast of Weeks, which we know is Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've talked a lot about those feasts, so we're not going to cover the feast again. But God says three times a year, everybody was to go to the place that he would place his name which before the, before the temple was built, it was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, when they entered the promised land, stayed in Shiloh until David moved it temporarily to Jerusalem and then to be replaced by the temple. So three times a year, every male was to go to where God's presence was in the form of the tabernacle. And we bring this up because... You think about this, as big as Israel was, especially in the days of David and Solomon, they had virtually their entire territory from the Mediterranean uh, Sea down by uh, uh, Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates River. Imagine if you lived up by the Euphrates River and had to go to Jerusalem three times a year in a time when you didn't have high-speed trains and, and cars with roads on there, you, you did a caravan. This is something you want to think about. Hundreds of thousands of people would come. Hundreds of thousands. Well, depends on how far away you were, but it would take a month or so to walk. Uh, the average person walked about 20 miles a day because you had to break camp, and you walk 20 miles, you set up camp. So 20 miles was a good day's journey by caravan, because some people in the caravan walked, some people rode, some people... So you did about 20 miles. So if you lived, you know, three, four hundred miles away, you could take about a month to get to Jerusalem. And a lot of times what they did, because these uh, feasts were so close together, especially Pentecost and 
the Feast of Trumpets. They just get there for Pentecost and stay through the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, we believe that when Mary and Joseph went to be taxed, they just stayed in the Bethlehem area for, you know, while she was recovering because the wise men came somewhere after Jesus was born. They did not show up the night he was born. It said they showed up at, and met a child, not an infant. And they presented their gifts to a child, which would indicate about two, between one and a half, two years old. And that would be why Herod killed all the children two years and under. Oh, so they weren't there when he was born then. No, they did not get there when he was born. They, they would have started their trip after, the, after he was born, probably. Because they had months worth of travel, probably four, five, six months worth of travel to get from where they started in, in the far east of Persia all the way to, to where they were. And this is why there's many things that we do and believe about this time of year that aren't correct. The shepherds came because the angel told them to, to come. Lots of things we believe, and we need to be careful what we believe and make sure we're looking at the Bible to see what the Bible says about these things. Because there's, the tabernacle was the tent that they made in, in Exodus and, and wandered around. They'd set it up in the middle of the camp, and then the people camped around the tabernacle. But God said to come, all the males were to come. God has a high priority on males worshiping him and being leaders in his family. He instructed men to teach their children and teach them godly things. And he says, men, you are to go three times a year to worship me, not just in your homes, not just in your, you know, in your synagogues, but you were to go to where God was. And now many times the women went on these three trips as well, but the men were commanded to do it. The woman could stay home with, with the, you know, little babies or whatever, but the men had to go. God places a huge priority on male leadership. And there's many studies that go out. If you win a child to the Lord, you, the chances of getting the family are very slim. You might get the mother, you might get other children not insignificant we want to reach out to children if you get the mother of the family the chances of getting the whole family increases to about 20 percent because the father may or may not come the children may or may not come and if and if the father doesn't come the teenage boys will soon cease to come because they'll look at it as something that men don't do but if you can get the father saved and coming to church it jumps to get the whole family. Because even in our day and age where male leadership is so much down, it still has an impact. If the father goes to church, the father goes, worships God, the whole family will come. And this is a serious problem in our churches out there is the average church has more females in it than males coming to church. And if you don't get the father, eventually you'll lose, especially the boys, probably all the teenagers, but especially the boys, because they look at it and say, why should I go to church? Dad doesn't go to church. And it, this is something that is very critical for us to be able to say it is important. It's important for the men to teach their, their children, especially their sons, that God is important. And we see this over and over that if the father's not engaged in church, the family as a whole will not be engaged in church. 
because the mother will only be able to keep the kids going to a certain point before they'll just say, eh, dad doesn't think it's important, I'm not going. And God's command has always been, fathers, you're the head of the house, you teach. You work with your children, you teach them God's word, you teach them God's plan. This gives us an opportunity as grandparents and, and, and everything that we should be reaching out to our kids to help them understand that God is important. This is very much true. I mean, I see it even in our church on Sunday morning. We have a very large population of women in our church. Uh, this Bible study is very, very odd. You've know, got more men than, than women. It's a good sign. It's a good, healthy sign for that to happen, that men respond to God because God commands them. He commanded his people, come together three times a year. Those were the big events unleavened bread that, that after the Feast of Passover. So if you're going to go for unleavened bread, you went for Passover as well because you might as well, uh, unleavened bread started the day after the Passover lamb, so you might as well be in Jerusalem. And then 40 day, uh, 50 days later was the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then you had a few months between, between that to, to the Feast of Trumpets, which was a fall holiday. We have pen, uh, Passover happening between March and April, give or take, because it, it goes with the moon. And then 50 days later, you would have Pentecost. And then and you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the time between Passover and Sunday, whatever, whatever Passover was. So it could be as much as six days or as short as 24 hours if Passover was on a, on a Saturday. Jesus, when he was crucified, he died on Passover, was in the grave for unleavened bread, and rose again on first fruits. Okay, so he fulfilled three holidays. Three of the Jewish holidays were fulfilled in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was given to the church on Pentecost and the birth of the church. They were memorials, and they were... They were Basically, yeah. prophecies. They, yeah, prophecies. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled those feasts, what they totally mean. There, but he fulfilled four feasts in the beginning, and there are seven feasts in all, so it makes perfect sense that the, the fall feasts are the, prophet, the second coming of Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled each of the four, first four spring feasts on their days. So there's a lot of people who believe that these things will happen on those feast days of Israel. Now, can we prove that? Not until we get there. It won't surprise me at all if the rapture of the church will fall on the Feast of Trumpet Day. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me in the least. This is something, this is why I get into the Old Testament to show us Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these feasts. And therefore, we should be able to look and say, okay, if he fulfilled the first ones on his first coming, it's very likely he's going to fill, fulfill the... <coughs> other three feasts on his second coming. So most Christians don't have a, have a... Most Christians don't understand the roots of their Christianity because you'll hear people say one of two extremes. I only, all I ever do is read the New Testament because that's all about the church. Well, that's fine and dandy except for one minor problem. Jews wrote the New Testament. If you don't know what it is they're talking about, you miss a lot out of the New Testament. When Paul talks about God tabernacling in us, he's thinking back to the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle in Exodus. And we spent weeks going through the symbolism of the, of the ta tabernacle. 
from the from the skins that covered the the holy place and showing you the the covering and the blood and sin and perfection and and righteousness between because of the various coverings the to the gold representing deity and judgment and redemption and we're not going to go through all of that again because we went through it and it's all in all in the Exodus series but when Paul talks about the tabernacle he's thinking about all that the tabernacle represented and if we don't study the tabernacle then we don't know what he's saying when he says that they were bond slaves of Jesus, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. That was the person who was a slave, a servant to somebody for seven years, and at the end of the seven years said, I choose to be your slave for life. That is a big difference in just being a slave, because when we think of slave, we think of somebody that's under compulsion. And the word in the scriptures is bond slave, which is somebody who chooses to be that person. But if you don't understand the Old Testament, you don't understand what they're talking about. So we miss a lot by not understanding the Old Testament. And most Christians don't. Then the other extreme are those Christians who only, who only think the red letters are what's really important. You know, if Jesus said it, that really means something. For me, it is all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Not just the red letter parts, not just the New Testament, but all Scripture. And this is something we have to keep in mind. Why do we study the whole Word of God? Because we want to understand God in His completeness. God is still holy and just and demands that uh, He demands obedience. It is very important for us to understand He hasn't changed. Yes, He gives grace. Yes, He gives mercy. Yes, we are in Christ. It's important to really get into the Old Testament to understand where God is we're sitting. Well, we've talked about the, the mercy seat, which is also called the seat of propitiation, where God's anger was satisfied because of the blood of the sacrifice that was placed on it. And we know that the, the tabernacle was a copy of the heavenly uh, tabernacle that God sits on in actuality so when Jesus died he would have taken the blood as the high as our high priest and presented it to the father at the mercy seat the mercy seat of heaven not just the not the copy of it so these are things we want to be able to understand every one of the sacrifices we spent you know seven weeks on the sacrifices and going how every sacrifice represented Jesus so we, we look at these things and say God has a purpose on this. He has a purpose in men leading. Then in, and then in verse 17 it says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing that the Lord God has given him. And at the very end of 16, excuse me. They shall not appear before the Lord empty. God says, honor him according to what he has given and Jesus, if you remember when they, were, when they saw the, the widow that gave money, they've been sitting there watching people give and give and give. And Jesus said the, the widow who gave two pennies gave more than all the others. Why? Because he said she gave everything. All that she had. She wasn't even able to go out and get food after she gave the two mites. Wouldn't have gotten, bought much food anyway, but she was saying, I'm going to give God everything I have. Now, I'm pretty sure that that widow probably got blessed greatly by God. It would have been nice to get the rest of the story, how she was blessed for it. But, but he looked at all these people who gave. And some of them were giving a lot of money. 
But what is it to give two or three hundred if you've got thousands of dollars that belong to you? It's not, it's not a really big deal. If you gave even a hundred thousand and you're a billionaire, that's really not a very big gift in, in perspective. And God says, give according as you have been blessed. And this is very important for us to look at. God expects gifts. He expects the gifts to come into him. Why? Not because he needs it. God doesn't need the gifts at all. He's looking for people who are saying, God, I trust you. God, I love you and just want to give back to you. All of these things that God is looking for. Are, and then, of course, he tells us it will be blessed. Malachi says, you know, test the Lord and see by giving your tithes and offerings. It's the only place we're actually told to, to test and try God is in, in the offerings. Because he says, I want, I want you to learn to trust me. Too many people are like the rich young ruler that went to Jesus and said, you know, good master, what must I do to be saved? You know, to enter into your kingdom. And he goes, well, you know, and gave him a couple of commandments, you know, uh, tell the truth, love your, <laughs> love your parents, you know, uh, be, you know, honor God. And then he told him, he goes, well, I've done all of those things. He was self-righteous. And what did Jesus tell him? Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. What was God telling him? Not necessarily you have to go sell everything, except in his case it was. But he was showing that man that his wealth was his God. He was putting all of his hope and trust in his wealth. And many people, especially in America, put their trust and their hope in their wealth or even our government. There's many people who do everything in their life to get all the money they can from the government and will make all kinds of unbiblical decisions and way of life to get money from the government. So we want to be careful. Our, is our trust in God? Or is it in other things? And here God's saying, give to me according to how you've been blessed. Then he starts in verse 18, judge, judges and officers shall you make in all your gates which the Lord your God gives you throughout your tribes and that they may judge the people with the best judgment. God believes in law and order. Our country was built on we, the statement we used to hear a lot of, the rule of law. That law had a place and a purpose. And here he's saying, make judges. Have judges in your towns that can make the decisions on right and wrong. And, and obey the laws and interpret the laws. Our founding fathers built our country on just that thought that you needed a ruler that executed the laws, and you needed somebody that made the laws, and you needed somebody that interpreted the laws. They interpreted that as the president, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. And that, and that is what they used as their game plan. And God, all through the scriptures, is, is really big on obeying the law and having law and order. It says, you shall not rest judgment but you shall respect people, neither take a gift, for a gift does blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. God says you're not to bribe the officials, especially the judges. And it's kind of amazing. My dad went to be a missionary in Quito, Ecuador, 
and his stuff sat on the docks for a long time because he wouldn't pay a small bribe to the officials to, to get it because he was trying to be a righteous person. And he eventually just paid them the $3 they wanted so that he could get his stuff off the dock. Once he paid them the bribe that they wanted, which he laughed because it was only like $3, they let it go. Most of the world has a system where bribes are considered the norm. It's amazing. In the Judeo-Christian world, bribery and, and greasing the palms is not really the norm. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does. But in our civilization of the Judeo-Christian world, we understand that bribes are, bring dishonest gain usually. You know, you, you bribe somebody so you can cut corners. You bribe somebody so you can get that permit done fast before everybody else. Uh, and just as it says, the gift blinds the eye. Proverbs says the same thing. That it, say, it says the same thing. That, the, that a gift will cause the, the blindness. And we know, we know how that works. And we, we've heard it, we've seen it in movies, we've heard it. Uh, many countries are built on a whole system of bribery. This is one of the things when we send humanitarian aid to a lot of countries, very little of the aid gets to the people it's supposed to be in many cases because part of it goes to the dock workers, part of it goes to the, 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 to the mayor, and all these little towns that you go through siphon off the, to the wealthy, not to the poor. And when you finally get there, you've got a very small amount. And even at that point, people are siphoning, siphoning it off. Why? Because they're built on an environment of corruption. They're not looking at it being wrong. God says it's wrong, and the world basically says it's okay. And this is something we have to understand. Christianity changed the world because it brought much of these rules to the world. And we are slowly starting to shift back into what used to be happening all the time before Christianity. The lack of respect for life. And we've talked about this. When Christianity came into existence in the world, it was not uncommon to, to kill your children. Even before or after birth, you offered them as sacrifices. If you didn't want them, you just discarded them. You know, the, the idea of the street urchin was the kid who somehow managed to live on the street in spite of being dumped out of his family. If you got hurt, if you were a warrior and got hurt, you were basically not worth anything and nobody cared about your life. If you got old enough not to be able to work, then nobody cared you, unless you had some family that cared for you, and that wasn't always the case either. And many times people would take their life because it just wasn't worth it. If you were disabled, you begged and hoped enough people would give you enough to survive each day. And Christianity came along and built orphanages, built hospitals, built retirement places. They started reaching out to the poor and disenfranchised. And now we're starting to see things swing back the other way again. Abortion, euthanasia, suicide, just the whole lack of caring for people. And it's only going to get worse. The further people get away from God, the worse the world is going to become. Because it's going back. 
It's reverting back to what it was in its sin nature. And it's not a surprise. It, doesn't make, it does, shouldn't surprise us at all that the world is going back to its sin nature. The only problem is we've had 2,000 years of history of people generally being nice to each other as a, as a, as a group, at least in Europe. Now, in many parts of the world, that's still not true and has not been true. Most of Asia is still built on that whole mentality of lack of respect for life. And so we, we want to be able to see God says, make judges, make officers that will enforce the rules in all of your cities. You're going to be abiding by laws and rules. And your judges are not to take bribes. Your officers are not to take bribes. And this is why there's a, there's a big controversy all the time. How much should policemen be paid? How much should politicians be paid? Well, they should be paid enough to make, the, make a bribe hard to do. Now, there's always going to be somebody wealthy enough to bribe, you know, bribe because there's that old saying that every person has their price. And I'm not sure that it's true that every person does, but, but for the most part, it is true. Most people have a price that they will sell out their morals. And uh, it, each person is going to depend. It's going to be different for every single person. Somebody who's following God really close may not have any price that, that it is, but, but by the same token, if somebody was to put $2 million in front of them to, to violate their morals, they might, they might think about it. And this is why they say every man has a price. There is a place where you are willing to at least think about doing it. And there's been survey after survey that many, many people will say that if they knew they would not get caught, most people would do just about anything. Now, a Christian will obviously know that we will get caught because God catches us the minute we do it. But even there, people don't usually think of God in those terms. You go, if you ask that question, you know, if you could commit a murder and, not get, and know for absolute sure that you would not get caught, would you do it? Most people will if they're honest, would probably say yes. Now, as a Christian, we know that there's no such thing as not getting caught. But we all have that tendency to do wrong. All of us have that tendency. How many people tell lies, not because they think they're going to get caught, because they obviously think, if I, if I tell this lie, I'm not going to get caught, and I'm going to get away with whatever it is I'm lying about. And yet the truth will always come out and yet we tend to forget about it in the heat of the moment. And <coughs> when we get anger, if we get really angry, we will do things that we wouldn't normally do if we kept our calm. And this is why some people end up committing murders just because they get so angry they let go of their emotions. And this is very important that we kind of beware what are the rules and laws that God has given us? How are we going to live? As Christians, it's going to get harder and harder for us to make godly decisions when the whole world is doing other things. This takes us into the whole world of abortion. How easy is it to use abortion and say, we don't want this kid, we're going to get rid of it because the rest of the world tells you it's okay. Living together. There are many Christians living as couples living together because the world tells them it's okay or in many cases older people because they don't want to lose their social security so they live together as husband and wife but don't make it official 
with the government because they don't want to lose. So where's their hope their trust? Their hope and trust is in the government, not in God. So we want to be very careful. We've got decisions, in the, and every time we do something wrong, we look at it and we can justify why we did it. Every time. I can justify, it might be as simple as, well, I just didn't realize what I was doing, I wasn't thinking. Now, that's pretty bad justification. Uh, some of it is justified, well, this person, how many times have you ever heard somebody say, they deserved what they got? Well, they probably did, but that's not our business to give them what they deserve for God. And we as Christians need to be careful that we don't rejoice when somebody is getting, getting their, what they deserve. I look at sometimes when people get what they deserve, and I'm heartbroken. Yes, I know they deserve it. Yes, I know that they shouldn't, that they could have accepted God and, and twisted, you know, gotten out of it. And it, heart, it breaks my heart to watch them get, get what they deserve because I want to see them come to Christ. And yet maybe that's exactly what they need to come to Christ. And, but it's still hard to see. I don't like to see people in pain and being hurt even though I know that that's what's needed sometimes. I know, especially in mothers and fathers, oftentimes will apply the same thing. They don't want to see their children get hurt. And many times they'll block the pain in their kids. You know, oh, you're going to be thrown out of your home because you, know, you haven't been paying your bills because you've been spending all your money on drugs and alcohol. Here, let me help you stay in your home. Well, what they probably needed was to be kicked out. But we look at it and say, especially if there's grandkids, we can't let the grandkids get hurt. I understand that feeling. It's very, very hard to do. Anti-hero's been around forever, too, because Robin Hood was an example. Robin of Loxley, oh, yeah. Robin of Loxley, Loxley was that. Uh, you know, again, we go back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. These, these have always existed, always ebbed and flowed. We do look at somebody who's sticking it to the bosses, sticking it to the bad officials, you know, say, well, yeah, they're getting what they deserved, and... It's very important that we keep understanding that God is still in control. You know, looking at a Jesse James or, or a Robin Hood or any of these people, they are still wrong in what they're doing because God put the authority in place and the authority needs to be honored. Uh, easy to do? No, it's going to be very hard to do many times. The disciples, even when they were disobedient, said, okay, you're telling us not to witness. We've got to witness because God told us to. But I've always pointed out, they also took the punishment that the government put on them for witnessing. They didn't say, no, you don't have any right to punish us because we were obeying God. They go, okay, you're the government, you have the right to punish us, but we're still going to obey God. And this is something that's very important for us as Christians, and it's going to get to the place where we may have to make these type of decisions to obey God and be punished. And we need to prepare our hearts for that very day that God is going to be asking us to do things because he says to do it. The whole thing that's going on, and I appreciate what's happening with many of these businesses that are saying, okay, you're telling me I have to serve homosexuals in their marriages and everything. No, we believe homosexuality is wrong. We cannot morally do it. And many of them are paying with their businesses and, and everything they own. They are being attacked by our own government paying the price. We looked at it and said, well, these kind of things would never happen in this country, and yet they're happening. The country has patented its hate speech laws after Canada and, and various European places where 
pastors are going to jail because they speak God's word. In Canada, if you call homosexuality a sin, you could go to jail because it's considered that much hate speech and you can go to jail for it. This is going to happen in our country. It's not a question of it may, if it does, it will eventually happen because we pattern our speech, our hate law speeches after them. With, and everybody would say, well, that will never happen. Well, they said it would never happen there as well. Honesty is where we want to be at, and it's going to make it very difficult. I mean, I mentioned to you all, you know, last week when I got overpaid and I went in and told them, they, was, they all looked at me like I was nuts. You know, and they go, why are you doing this? And I go, because I believe in integrity. This isn't mine. It's yours. It's not mine. This is the way the world looks at us. When you are being a person with moral character, the world looks at, it, at you like you're a nut. And that's a sad place to be when our officials are doing that as well. But we need to be able to look at this and say, I'm going to live the way God wants me to no matter what. And that may cost us our life at some point. And this is pretty amazing. Most people do not realize that more people are being killed every year in the name of Christ than all these days back when we think about the martyrs. Millions are dying every year because of Christianity. Today. Not back when. Millions died then too, but millions are dying every day. And I believe that it's going to come to America fairly before the rapture. I believe we're going to start seeing the need to live for Christ and, and pay a deep price. We can already see it in columns and the in the newspapers, if you're on the internet and you look at the comments at the end of the, these news reports, especially if they have anything to do with Christianity, they just attack the Christian viciously. And they're hiding behind their little pseudonyms and stuff. You know, the, Nobody knows who they are right now, but it's not going to be long before they quit hiding and actually attack. I am never surprised when somebody does something wrong. Especially when the world does something wrong, because they're just acting according to their nature. I'm not surprised when Christians do something wrong, because that means they're living according to their human nature and not the nature that God has given them. Now, Christians make me a little sadder when they do wrong, because they have the power of God's nature in them to do right, but I am not surprised when they do something wrong. Because if I know that somebody is, mo is very likely to do something wrong, then I'm not going to be hurt and shocked when they do. I know they're doing what they are most likely going to do anyway. Sin nature is, is exactly to rebel against God, to kill, to destroy, to steal, to lie. That's the sin nature. Now, oftentimes it's held under wraps because of law and the consciousness of, the conscience of people. But I am never surprised when somebody violates moral character. All of this stuff is going on in this world and the further it gets from God the more the evil will be displayed because the heart is not being tempered. The world does not understand how much the church is protecting it. They just look at the Christians in the church and saying boy these guys are just out to destroy you know we want to do all these things and they're they're fighting us tooth and nail for all these things. The blessings of God are flowing from the church fighting these various sins and everything. But it's going to come a time when the church is taken out.
the tribulation period is going to be a terrible time because the salt of the church is removed. The light of the church is removed. Think about all these things. Homosexuality has been trying to be accepted for decades, and it's finally gotten it through the courts and all these, but it's been the church that has opposed the downfall. It's been the church that has been opposed to abortion. It's been the church that's been opposed to so many different things and take the church out of it and how wicked will the world be because we are the salt and the light to the world and they don't realize how protected they are because of the salt and the light that's protecting them. Much like if you put, you know, if you have a cut or something and you put antiseptics which used to be salt <laughs> on your cut, it may hurt, it, it, but you're protecting your body from infection by putting the antibiotic on it. And it's the same thing that the, the church is doing as we bring Christ into situations and bring the light of God, and, they, and the world doesn't like light. The world does not like light. The world does not want to be told that what it's doing is sin. Even though they know it's sin, they don't want to be told that it's sin. God is saying here, do not pervert the judgment. And because it, we know that it is perverted. Our own justice system in America has been perverted over the years. It's got a lot of problems in it. There's a lot of problems in this, in our world, and our country with our judicial system. Why? Because many of our leaders are not Christians. <laughs> and they're doing what is good in their own eyes and their own sight. Most of the 13 colonies had constitutions that said you had to be a Christian to hold office in their state because they understood to be a good ruler you had to have strong morals. Uh, now, we, now we vote for people in spite of their morals and we say their morals aren't important and yet our founding fathers said the morals of the, of the people running the office were of utmost importance. If you really are truly having a moral thing, you will not violate your moral. But we look at this process and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? How am I to live? And if you look at the Jews, they, they quote unquote followed God's rules, but they put all kinds of loopholes in those laws so that they could violate God's laws without violating God's law, as far as they were concerned. And this happens even in every one of the religions that are saying do more good than bad. It, it's not don't do the bad deed, it's okay, how much good do I have to do to make up for it? And this is where morality becomes important. I don't want to do the bad, I'm not going to do the bad because, not because I need to do a bunch of good, but because it's bad. I'm not going to say there's no morality, no goodness outside of God, but it's, it's a lot harder. Some people have very good discipline of themselves. And they can do lots of good things and not be a Christian. But it's all in the flesh. And God says the flesh won't stand before him. Jesus' strongest accusations were against the Pharisees. You whitewashed sepulchers. You're telling people to do one thing and you're doing something totally different. You're not following the rules that you say that they're supposed to, that you know and that you teach. And this is very important for us. It's easy to get down the wrong path. For us as Christians, if we're not in God's word, we're not in, in with God's people, we're not praying, we're not being fed, it is very easy for us to go down the wrong paths and not follow God. 
It's very easy to be misled. Why? Because we have a sin nature in us that enjoys sin. And unless it's kept crucified and, and the, the doctrines of God washing over our heads, it's very easy to do the wrong thing and justify it. And this is, this is something I keep bringing out. We do the wrong and we will justify it. Well, God, if they just didn't have this law, then I wouldn't have to worry about doing this. But because this law is here, I gotta, I've got to do this. And we justify violating God's, God's rules because we say, you know, well, the government's against us. Verse 20, that which is altogether just shall you follow that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God gives you. <laughs> what is right we are to follow? Whether it's accepted, whether it's, it's what others believe, we need to follow the right. It's going to make us stick out like a sore thumb in, in, in the near future. It makes us stick out like a sore thumb now. Why do we do this? Because it is what we're supposed to do. Why do we tell the truth? Not because we're forced to. Not because we took an oath on, on the Bible that says, I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But that's what God says to do. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And, and it says in Deuteronomy that, you know, that we're to tell the truth, the whole truth. God says that if you see your brother's animal getting stuck in a ditch, you know, even not even brother, he says if you see your enemy's ox get stuck in a ditch, you were to help the ox out of the ditch. Okay? You were to help others. You know there's places in this world that if you help somebody, you might get in trouble for helping them. America has a lot of good Samaritan laws to help protect you. If you help somebody, you, you don't get sued because you're helping. In some places, you're required to help people if you come across them, according to their laws, if you're capable of doing it. So he says, follow that which is just. And God says, and you'll keep your land to the Jews. Do what is just, do what is right, and you're going to keep your land. And how did we start out And uh, we talked about Ezekiel yesterday? God was judging the land because it was full of bloody violence and disobedience. They had done so much and they weren't living according to justice and again, according to rules. And God says, I'm going to take you, I took you out of your land. Kingdoms rise up, they start getting unjust, and God judges them and takes them out. And we're seeing that even in America. We're seeing justice being perverted and justice being eliminated and not being followed. On a personal level, it, it does the same thing. When we do wrong and we start going out, God will send. He starts out with small things to try to get us to repent and turn. Then it'll get to be full scale. The book of Judges is a great illustration of this. The people of Israel would get complacent. They would start worshiping idols. They wouldn't listen to God. God sent in a nation to conquer them. They would be in, in bondage for 20 or 30 years. They would cry out to God and repent, and God would send a deliverer, and then they would grow and, and repent. I've seen this over in time in different people's lives, and even in my own. If we start following the wrong path, God will send little, little trials and tribulations to try to bend us into his will, and if we really don't want to obey, he sends some pretty harsh stuff sometimes. And all of us have probably been there where some really hard things have hit us. And if we look at it, we go, oh, if I had just been a little more obedient and listened to God in the first place, I wouldn't have found myself 
at this place. And so, yes, it is true that everything on this, uh, what happens as a nation can also happen at the personal level. Not quite as bad, you know, where, you know, the nation, you can take out the nation and the nation and the people still exist and God's not going to take you out. But by the same token, if you get evil enough and you start destroying God's testimony in your life and you're not going to repent, God may just take you home early because of the da damage you're doing to the, the Christian uh, uh, testimony. Now, that would have to be pretty bad. I mean, that's not just going out and telling a few lies or anything like that. But if your whole lifestyle is destroying the message of the gospel, then God would probably say, I'm just going to take you home rather than have you continue. There's a lot of people that are like that. There's a lot of people like that. They're still alive. They're still on TV. They may still be, still be having a time of repentance in the future. The problem is we don't know why God does what he does because he's God. And he knows all things. And he knows how that person, somebody we look at and saying, well, he's got a terrible testimony, nothing is good. Another person may be looking and say, well, you know, I've seen other Christians, they don't act like this guy, and, they look, and, and it makes them look at a good Christian. We don't know what that purpose is. The one thing we do know is that God says all things work together for good. And, that, and as I said the other day, that doesn't mean just the things God sends us. If I do something wrong in my life that's hurting God's testimony, there's still going to be a good that he works out of it. Now, could it have been better if I had not done it? Probably, but God still says all things work together for good. Jesus, Jesus said this when the disciples said, those guys over there are preaching. He goes, well, if they're not, for, if they're not against us, they're for us. Paul said the same thing as if, you know, even if they're preaching for the wrong reasons, the gospel is getting out and I'm not going to care. Because they were preaching the gospel, trying to hurt Paul, kind of making fun of him by preaching the gospel. And Paul's saying, the gospel's going out. Maybe for the wrong reasons. And this is why we need to be very careful about looking at this, because God can use so much for himself. This is why we talked about the translations of the Bible the other day. Some of the worst translations have gotten people saved. Why? Because there's just enough truth in them for people to get hold of, and they were reading it. And this is why my answer to everybody who will ask me, what's the best version of the Bible? The one you're actually going to read. Because you might have the best translated version of the Bible. Perfect translation. I don't think there's one out there, but the perfect translation. But if you don't read it because it's too complicated for you, or you just don't like the way it reads, it doesn't do you a bit of good. Are there versions of the Bible that you probably shouldn't read? Probably. <laughs> there are some that are very poorly, poorly translated or poorly paraphrased. But I also have enough faith in God protecting his word that when somebody's reading it, that he'll take them out of it fairly quickly. And this is something that I have learned over the years, and I've watched people. They'll start with some translation that I think is a very poor translation, but they're reading God's word. And eventually the Holy Spirit will kind of whisper in their ear like, uh, you think it's time to grow a little bit and get a, get a good version. And this happens over and over with people. I have absolute confidence that God will get hold of his people. My job is simple. I just teach what he says. I teach what he says and then people take it and do something with it or don't do something with it. And it's not my problem if they do or don't do. It's in their ballpark. All I'm going to do is study God's word and present it reach out. 
God asks us to be changed. How do we get changed? The Holy Spirit comes into us and changes us. How do we, get, how do we give him food to be able to change us? We read, <coughs> we read his word. That's the primary way we read his word. But then we go and we get taught. We get taught by other people. And the Holy Spirit is a great teacher. And the Holy Spirit will take what we're being, reading and what we're being taught and mix them together and make changes in our life. One thing that's amazing to me is when I listen to some of these pastors on TV, uh, radio that I've listened to all my life, and they'll say something that I thought I, that I forgot that I learned from them. Because <laughs> you know, I heard it so long ago, and it became part of who I am. And I got to where I, sometimes we'll get to the where I think it was my original thought, and then I'll hear somebody, especially with Dr. McGee on Through the Bible, because I've listened to him from way back and every once in a while, I'll be listening to him, and, I'm, and he'll say something, I'm going, oh, is that where I got that thought? These things get planted deep into us, and the Holy Spirit will use them. And all we need to do is be open to God and let him work. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful teacher, and the Holy Spirit knows the answers to this. And I've all shared with you, when I was a teenager, there, were time, there was a time when I asked God, because I was very confused, because we went to all kinds of different denominations and stuff over my lifetime. And one would say this verse means something, and another one would say this verse means something else. And I finally went to God and go, I need answers. The Holy Spirit gave me answers. The good news was when I got to know how to study the Bible, I found out that the Holy Spirit knew what he was talking about and was right. Now I could prove it, though. Okay, before all I could do was this is what God told me. <laughs> but after a while, I was able to say, here's, what, here's the proof of it. And this is where we're at. The Holy Spirit is ready to teach every one of us if we're willing to listen because he is the teacher he is the comforter he was the one that inspired them to write the words in the first place he knows what they mean so we'd listen to the holy spirit and go forward all right let's close in prayer lord we just thank you for this day we thank you for this opportunity we've had to to look at you lord we ask that you help each one of us to live in your spirit and to live in a more moral lifestyle on each progressive day that will increase the life that we live and be moral that we will not succumb to the flesh's desires to be immoral and that you will help us in all of that and it's only because of your spirit living in us because of the sacrifice of jesus christ covering our sins that we can even do any of that and we just thank you in jesus name amen <laughs>